0: Hey everyone, welcome back. This is third episode of Modern SaaS Podcast. Today we have lots of great topics that we want to talk about. Yag, do you want to share what are we having today here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But before we start, you know, I want to share a couple of interesting things that have happened over the last two three days. You know, ever mm-hmm. since our first two episodes released, I've been getting a lot of DMs where, uh, you know, people are asking us about specific things that we spoke. Mm. And, uh, you know, there are some interesting stories. I'll I'll bring up one first point, which was super interesting and unique to me. Uh, based on our first episode, where we discussed all-in-one versus best-of-breed solutions, there was this interesting person who came in and he said, "Yag." I love what you said. It absolutely resonates. But isn't it going against you as a company? Mm. Uh, Are you an all-in-one solution? So Mm. (laughs) what do we say?
0: Interesting point, definitely. Um, The way I think about it, all-in-one, our point of view at that time was that as a vision, as a software provider, you should focus on your customer's journey and try to think about that entire journey and try to help them to get their job done. That was the point. And when you think about are we all-in-one or not, I was not trying to promote that we are all-in-one only. We are, but there's also the degree of all-in-one. The highest level of degree would be any software company needs to just buy one tool, and that's it, and they do everything for you. Your employee relationship-related ERP system or HR system, maybe your customer relationship-related customer management system, and all the internal communication and everything that would be one holy grail of the tool of all in one so but obviously it's not what i'm saying then you break it down then you say that okay let's just focus on the entire customer life cycle that's when you focus on the all-in-one then you say let's just focus on the entire employee experience that's when the all-in-one tool comes in um, in our case my point is that today as of today we may not be the all-in-one to handle the entire customer communication and all the things that to do with that customer life cycle. But what we are also saying is that we are also not super limited transcription only company that people needs to use only for the meetings transcription. And so that's how the degree of variation that you need to see. So we operate in this conversation intelligence space. A lot of the companies who started in this space focused only on conversation intelligence for sales coaching. We felt that that's not enough conversation intelligence applies for sales coaching. Yes, that's the first use case. That's where the need is the highest, the value is the highest. So we have the best of the breed approach there too. But then we, because our vision was not becoming yet another me too conversation intelligence for sales coaching, we knew that that's not solving the customer's problem. We talked to a lot of customers and they told us that's only helping leadership and managers. It's not truly helping people who are on the front line. It's helping them to get the coaching feedback, but their day-to-day workflow of running meetings was still broken. So then we said, okay, that's where we need to become a better all-in-one solution for that particular category. Beyond that, there are still a lot more things that we can do. We can also now continue to expand in the future. But my point is that when you say all-in-one, it's also in the experience of what is that limited scope that you're looking at it what that category that you're looking at it and that's the differentiation factor of Avoma compared to other vendors in the conversation intelligence space since that conversation we released I also got a lot of messages on LinkedIn founders startup entrepreneurs reaching out to me telling me that love the thought process would love to hear your perspective because we are exactly thinking about that we're building something like that so and so forth and here's another thing It's one of those philosophies that once you talk about something, then everywhere you go, you start seeing that messaging. (laughs) Yes. It happens, right? Let's say you want to buy a car and then you start driving and then you start seeing those cars everywhere else. There is some phenomenon called, I don't know what they call, and that happened with me. Everywhere I started going and visiting are some of the products that we have been using or we are interacting with some of our customers. I went and looked at their website. Typically, then I would see that the messaging was all in one. In our episode i mentioned the example of rippling was this all-in-one tool for all the hr related uh, tools like payroll and benefits and all of that and i mentioned that gusto was not evolving early on they were purely a payroll company guess what? gusto's messaging is now it's same that they are saying all-in-one hr tool we had another customer of ours Their website was all-in-one HR management tool. And they say, talk about all the same benefits. I was talking about design-related tools with one of our team members. How do you structure these design files and then organize these wireframes? And what we are using is Figma. So instead of buying another tool for sketching, another tool for wireframing, another tool for remote collaboration or the whiteboarding, we use Figma. Guess what Figma's messaging is? all-in-one tool for all your design and collaboration needs. So I went back and looked at ClickUp messaging. From day one, ClickUp's messaging has always has been one app to replace them all. You look at Notion, their messaging is all-in-one tool for your documentation and task management. Oh my God, so maybe we didn't come across as different. We thought that it's, people are going to find this controversial or contrary an opinion, but it's probably not everyone is talking about this everyone is positioning this so in fact it's actually what's happening and that whole prediction what we were saying is probably really what the world is heading towards
1: yeah absolutely you know the phenomenon that you spoke about is um, you know what we call as recency bias
0: yeah exactly you know, we keep
1: seeing it again and again right so and um just because uh we are thinking about this another phenomenon that i wanted to touch upon maybe you know we can dive deeper in today's episode as a main focus you know, we spoke a little bit about uh, pricing, you know, where mm. we spoke about the kind of flexibility that uh, companies need to offer and um, annual versus uh, monthly mm-hmm. and all of that, right? So let's dive deeper today into discussing what are the different kinds of pricing that are available and um, more specifically, how can we improve this from the perspective of a SaaS buyer? You know, let's, let's focus this episode entirely on pricing. What's say?
0: So much to talk about. Definitely. We have thought about those areas a lot as well how we design our pricing and I'm sure there are a lot of pricing experts as well but I think it's an interesting topic let's dive into it I can talk about a lot of different areas how I've thought recently when we were trying to buy some of the softwares as well what other experiences other than just the monthly and annual billing related issue we can talk about that do you have any specific uh, thing that on top of your mind
1: yeah yeah absolutely the number one thing that i have on top of my mind that uh you know i would love for us to discuss is uh pay for what you use you know mm-hmm. that is something that is super interesting for me because at the outset it seems like you're going to pay only for what you're using mm-hmm. but that's not always the reality you know there is a fine print when you actually go into the demo and start using it and then there is a minimum requirement and all of that so What has been your recent experience? would love to hear that. And then we can go from there.
0: This is amazing. Um, And pay for what you use is also not a new phenomenon. It has been there. A lot of companies have been doing this for the last 10 plus years. I think what's happening is that there are some companies who have taken this to the really extreme level and the most modern the way how you would see it. Just to give an example, most of the time when people think about pay for what you use, what they're still saying is that we give you some subscription plan and that plan has certain functionality and then you only pay for that function that you're truly going to use. If you want more functionality, maybe you add-on model is there. So you, you need additional extra functionality. So the base functionality is covered. But any advanced functionality that you want, here are the add-ons. You only buy the add-ons for the people who need that. And maybe not everyone in the company need that advanced functionality so you don't pay for that. A lot of companies have done that model, and that works really well. I think that's number one thing I would say that people should do it. Um, we do see a lot of tools that we are buying right now, but there is no such level of differentiation. And everyone basically has to buy one subscription plan. And if you want to have little advanced functionality for one user, there is always this one or two users who are most advanced users of that product who are getting the most value from the functionality. And now they need this advanced functionality. But guess what? The typical way how all the subscription companies handle this, you have to migrate all the users to the advanced plan. And it boggles my mind that why are you not letting different people to buy different plans or divide this into an add-on model? One example we talked about last time was Asana. We loved Asana, but the problem was that only few users were using the advanced functionality. So we had to move everyone to Asana's advanced functionality, which was a lot more expensive than what we really needed. And then that's what the whole migration to ClickUp happened because of that exact experience. And there was no separate level of differentiation that, oh, these users need advanced functionality, these users don't. Similar thing happened, I believe, with Notion versus Coda. Coda came up with this model where they said that you only charge for the content creators, and they charge a little premium price because they are the ones who are creating the content. Because in the entire company, not everyone was creating the documentation with the same level of effort or with the same level of details. Few people are just there to consume the documentation or review or comment, but they're not creating as much. But the alternative was Notion. In Notion, what we felt was that you had to pay for every single user the same price. And we were doing that, and then we quickly realized that half of the team or 90, 80% of the team is not really creating that level of documentation than the 10, 20% were users who were creating. Yes, the notions price was lesser, but it just felt that if these people are not using it, why should I keep paying for them? I'm okay to pay for the user who's actually using it. Uh, so those are the some of the practices I felt were not handled in some of the pricing related discussions that these companies are doing. I'll go one example even more that the pay for you use Slack is a great example where they have even taken this to a level where they're saying they automatically detect if the user is active or not. And they will proactively will tell you if this user is active, then we will charge them. If this user is not active, then you are getting refund for that next month or we are reducing the charge for the next month. That is to my, in my opinion, is the next level. Even Avoma is not to that level and I wish we could go there and hopefully we should do something like that as well. That is, in my opinion, yeah. truly charging for the active usage for what you really use and being customer centric and being most modern in that opinion.
1: Right. You know, out of the things that you said, there are two things that are super interesting for me. One, when you say a pay for mm-hmm. what you use, then what it means is there are going to be different categories of people in the company. Let's say even you take conversation intelligent tool like Avoma, now mm-hmm. there are going to be Salespeople, there are going to be CS people, there are going to be engineers, and all of that. Now, exactly. the key question to talk about, which also beautifully stitches to the second point that I would like to talk about in this whole, um, you know, pricing scenario, is the collaborative aspect, right? Mm. So the reason why people try to move, you know, everybody into one category of pricing is to say that hey, unless all of them are on the same set of features, they will not be able to collaborate with each other. So mm. the whole point is, can we allow collaboration without bringing everybody into the same pricing range? Um, We
0: can. And the way I think about it is, SaaS companies now need to think about, and this also ties to the all-in-one versus the the best-of-the-breed approach as well. The way I think about if your service or product has multiplayer mode versus a single-player mode. And what I mean by that, when I say multiplayer mode, I'm using this gaming terminology here, but the idea is that, is your product requires some collaboration? Are there people going to share that information or there needs to be other people who needs to have access to this information that you have in your product or workflow? And do they need that collaboration? So if they need, then you got to think about the pricing for collaborators in a different way. Versus if your product is something that only serves an individual, then you don't have to worry about dividing these into multiple different levels. And this is where the best of the breeds tools are also really well suited the single player mode anytime when you think about the multiplayer mode and there are tools other people needs to be part of your service for the collaboration then you have to think about the pricing in a different way my number one argument used to be why are you restricting the collaboration your product's usage will be successful the value will be materialized or realized even more if more people in the organization get value so not just the people who are doing the core action but these collaborators, people who are just having a view access, people have commenting access, sharing access, all those things, those are the people are also going to find value from the functionality that the core users are doing. And I felt when we were doing us pricing for Avoma, we had that concept. We said that, yes, we will charge more for people who are actually doing core action. They get the value the most. We're helping them save time. We're helping them get better. But guess what? Some users may not necessarily get the same level of value than the other users. That's the reality. We don't want to say that everyone gets the same value. But because you also let them say, hey, even in some situations, you don't get the most value from tool, there are other people in your organization who are also getting value. They are able to listen to your calls or get some insights. They're able to comment on some of the feedback that you have provided. And that way, other people in the company are also getting value. So then you're not really questioning. And the more... You allow other people in the company to use your product to see what it is about. Then you're letting those people also to experience like, hey, even I need this. This is amazing. Imagine the whole reason that Avoma was started in my previous organization. um, I was not part of the sales organization. I was part of the product organization. And all the sales conversations used to be in Salesforce. And I would have to chase our salespeople to tell me, what happens in these sales conversations because we were building products and we wanted to sell these products and uh, we never learned the customer's feedback and we would go and chase the sales people and they would say oh, the notes are in crm i didn't have access to crm because license was really expensive so how would i yes. learn what's really happening and so many of these tools were basically restricting because the access was only limited to salespeople. so that was something for me that hey we need to make sure that when i was building a aboma that was the number one reason i said everyone in the company should have access to these conversations yes we will restrict the functionality we will allow different people get different value but collaborators should not be charged so that's still i believe this is very strongly that if your product is built to collaboration then make sure that you don't charge for collaborators. and that's also the example of Notion versus Coda, that we gave, we felt there are a lot of users. Coda did this really well where they're not charging for collaborators. But there's no such concept in Notion where you have to charge for every single user. And if you charge for every single user, you're going to question do I really need to then invite this user to the platform? Or maybe not. Let's just, let's not invite you. Let's not have you access. And then you don't invite people, then you're restricting the collaboration you're restricting the information sharing
1: right no i absolutely love this because you know like say for example i'm not in uh, i'm not in sales but me getting access to a conversation between say sales and a prospect or say customer success and a customer and listening to those calls on my jog every day gives me so much of perspective that mm-hmm. as a marketer though i'm not making these calls i get an understanding of the questions that these people are asking and mm-hmm. that can give me insights into the kind of topics that i build up and i write i'll give you one example of uh, you know how this exactly helped me so i wrote a blog which was called uh, you know how you can use filler words to mm. uh, you know improve your sales outcome mm. and the story of why this really helped is because that was a question that this prospect asked our ae and the question was hey i see that you offer this filler words for anybody who's listening by filler words what we mean is say words like you know and so on and like things that we use in between sentences so when we started doing this more these this person said i know you record the number of filler words that you use but does this affect our uh, sales outcome you know Hmm. and that to me was like wow this is a very interesting question and when i looked around there was nobody talking about it And I thought, let's go back and do some fundamental research and see, do we have some calls and get some data? We had some million of calls that we could go back and make access to. And we found out three interesting things. Just because Mm. you use filler words, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to affect your change outcome and sales outcome. But at the same time, if you're going to use a lot of filler words, what that means is it gives a very bad experience that this person is nervous. Or, Mm. you know, they're not sure of what they're saying, so on and so forth. And Mm. if they're 100% perfect, it also comes across as plastic, you know, Mm. two rears. That Mm. 1% to 2% made the actual difference. And this insight made me write a blog and that really, really worked. If I just relied on the data of search volume, it would not have worked. Now, this to me is super useful. And if I had not got access to that conversation, this topic would have never come up. So that is, to me, the core value of it. And this brings us to the next topic, because we're talking about this collaborative access. Let's also talk about the platform fee thing, you know, (laughs) with the way certain companies go and say that, hey, there is a platform fee, which means I need to come in and I will take up a setup fee. It's not even me using the product, but setting up. And isn't that the company's fundamental responsibility? You know, if I have to come in and use your product, and you say that for setup, I'll charge, say, $2,000 or $3,000. This to me sounds too much. It's it's like I'm walking into a rented house. You know, I, I pay, I get in, I start living. That's how it should be.
0: So well said. Um, we do see this a lot in our industry as well. Um, there is this whole minimum $5,000, $10,000 platform fee you have to pay. Then what is the subscription fee? <laughs> exactly. You could, but these are great tactics. This is what people do this now. Some of these companies are really successful so we might come across that maybe you guys are stupid you are not doing this (laughs) but here's the thing we are not doing it because we wanted to be mostly successful but we are also doing how we would have liked to be treated i don't think just because i want to be successful i will do any kind of practices just because they work because i have a monopoly because i have that authority or something like that Uh, the whole platform fee is a negotiation tactic a lot of companies they will say okay per user charge is 1000 bucks per user per year. Plus, you have to pay this $5,000 platform fee. Guess what's going to happen? When companies are going to negotiate, there are companies who cannot afford that platform fee. They're going to negotiate that, hey, we cannot pay. Worst case, these companies will say, sure, now we're giving you the, the platform fee is discounted. So now you end up paying the per user price, which is still $1,000. Now I'm not going to reduce that price because I've already uh, waived off the platform fee. So And then the buyer, and I've seen this happening with some of the buyers and they feel, oh, I negotiated the price. I did not pay the the platform fee. And I said, that should not have been paid anyways, because that was not part of the process itself. But it's just how these people, how these companies are doing these practices, adding that one line item just to scare you and then give you some leverage in the negotiation so that they can keep charging you more for some other fees. Um, You talked about platform fee. I've also heard customer success fee, maybe part of the setup fee or something like that, right? So I was like, isn't it in your interest to make sure we are successful? We are set up properly. We are adopting your product properly. Why are you charging me a customer success fee? And there are a couple of tools that I'm using today. We did not get their customer success access. They were like, if you want that, pay $3,000 and our customer success person will help you on onboarding and Uh, configurations and all of that. And these are massively successful companies. They are successful. So maybe there is something to it. And I would love to hear opinions from other people who are doing it. But it feels really inhuman (laughs) to charge for these success fees, charge for these platform fees. And I don't know. I I don't think it's a modern SaaS practice. We talk about consumerization of these things. Netflix doesn't charge me monthly platform fee and then (laughs) subscription fee. All the services that we use do not do that. So there is a clear monthly subscription fee, and that's it. What you pay is what you see, and that should be all it is. And this is where people say, oh, we are modernizing the SaaS. We are consumerizing the enterprise and all of that stuff. And when you start peeling the onions, then you realize that they still are not. They are still not getting to the level of extent what it needs to be. And the whole purpose of this podcast is to bring these examples and still keep communicating to the users that there are still these bad practices that are still happening.
1: Right. You know, especially this aspect about um, customer success fees, that to me sounds the most ridiculous. Yeah, there is one aspect of, um, you know, ensuring the customer is successful. And even from our own perspective, the whole idea of having a customer success person is to, uh, you know, prolong the lifetime of a customer with you. And Mm -hmm. why would you pass on that cost to the customer? Right? So it's your job to move the customer who's been with you for one year to three years or five years or more than that and i have to pay a fee for that that is really ridiculous and from there you know let's let's also talk about this other probably the last gripe that i have on this topic is uh, you know going back to the usage pricing that we originally spoke about there's also this minimum uh, fee or minimum commitment that we have to give Mm. for that usage you know i had this experience of uh, a platform wherein at the outset, they said, "Hey, there is no platform fee. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to. Uh, it was it was an advertisement platform. You know, uh, they said all you pay is what you uh, what you're going to promote. You know, if you are going to pay certain things on Google AdWords, yes, you are going to do that. Similar LinkedIn ads, you're going to do that. And then when I went in and had the demo, they said you have to commit for a minimum of five thousand dollars for a month." And I'm like, why? Why would I do that? If your platform is completely free and the usage is completely open, I can still, you know, run ads for just $2,000 or $1,000 and test it out. Why can't they allow that?
0: You experience this one platform. I've also experienced recently in three other platforms as well. Just to give you some example, there are some API-driven companies. They have this whole concept of, you know, pay for usage. So they'll tell us, if you make the one API call, this is how much you need to pay. And we are fine. But the more you start using it, they'll come and they'll say, okay, why don't you commit this much for the entire year? And I'm like, okay, based on some projection, they'll say, oh, if you're going to grow this much, this is what the pricing would be. And I'm like, then it is not API-based, usage-based pricing. And some of these AEs gave me this proposal. There was nothing about usage-based. Everything was there about monthly. On the website, they say it's a usage base. And when I decided to buy the solution, the proposal that comes in an agreement is that every month you have to pay this much or annually you have to commit this much upfront. So, and these are all coming up based on some projections that they're doing. And that completely defeats the purpose. And this happened in this one API driven company, another payment processing company that we're using. And there are alternatives who are purely doing it based on percentage. And they are saying, okay, this is what you pay the usage-based pricing is there. Um, That also comes around, there's this whole uh, minimum seat requirement. So it's not minimum usage requirement. Sometimes people will also have this minimum seat requirement. Sometimes only two or three people or one or two people need to get value from the product, but then they have minimum five people need to buy this tool and the pricing is basically for that. And then for the entire period, when your team is not grown to that five people, you continue to feel that why are you overpaying so much? yes once you grow probably at that time it might make sense you're 100 percent there are still those minimum requirement pricing that people have and if your product works if it helps us to grow we will grow with you we will continue to buy more licenses from you so why not just keep it based on user base and the usage base truly and as we continue to grow we will pay you more but by bringing these minimum requirements they they want to probably improve their cash flow they want to probably improve. The forecasting because now you have more assurance that what you're going to get but it doesn't come across a buyer-centric pricing
1: right yeah and uh the thing is that i have also seen greater experiences where like say you know there are some products that give you at a very minimalistic price when you are a startup and they scale along with you. That is amazing. But the other set, the set of things that we discussed today, you know, the different kinds of pricing issues, it sometimes wonders me that, hey, we are in 2022 and uh, a lot of things are still being played the way it was in the early days of SaaS or even, uh, you know, the pre-SaaS period. So why are we doing that, you know? That is something that really, really um, puts me off. And probably, you know, that is why all our episodes are based on some of the experiences that we go through and uh, the set of things that we hear from our customers that they go through. And uh, that's the whole idea of putting all these things together. So any parting words, Aditya?
0: I think the only thing I'm thinking about, Yagd, is that we don't want to come across that we are just ranting about all these other bad experiences. These are the, the real experiences we had literally in the last a month or so. All these points that I talked about, Jag, I had these experiences just in the last one month. Right. And I'm sure there are so many other buyers who are experiencing this every single day. There is always this frustration. We talk about the modern SaaS experience is also about reducing the friction from the entire process, evaluation, buying, negotiation, all of those things. People talk about sales efficiency, the go-to-market motion efficiency. There was this vendor where I said, I want to buy it within one call, because I had extremely high intent of buying that service. The pricing, the way they made was so complex. The way they explain what it is does, how it will they charge me. We had to get on three different calls just to talk about pricing. We didn't spend time on evaluating the product, neither taking the demos. I said, I don't need that. I want this. I've done my research. I know it. Just give me it. The deal kept negotiating. The rep was trying to... Close that before the month and obviously we didn't come to conclusion they had to now push it to the next month and it's just back and forth back and forth and I was like so inefficient I know he had to or she had to pull many resources to get that pricing approval so if you make it transparent easy your motion the go-to-market motion will be faster your pricing negotiations will be faster your sales efficiency will improve but There is definitely another aspect of all of this is that maybe we don't know a lot as well. This is what we are just communicating as a buyer. And I'm no one to say that I know it all. We are also not a billion dollar company yet. So we cannot claim and say that, hey, we know how this works. And we have done this successfully. We are pretty good successful right now. We are growing. All of that is good. But at the same time, there must be a lot of learnings that what we are still talking about here, there might be some other side of the story. And we would probably i think what would be helpful yeah to bring some experts here and to get their perspective we should probably question these things that if people are doing something these practices we should ask them why are you guys doing this and what are the other perspectives and we would like to hear their thoughts as well because i don't want to come across that this is the right way of doing it i'm sure we're missing the other stories here but at least this is we are just sharing what we felt was not right But I think we should be open-minded to listen what other people have to say as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, I'm absolutely on board with the idea of uh, having more people. In fact, I have a list of people that I'd love to reach out to. And let's definitely have them on the show. And uh, it would be a great conversation to understand why they do certain things in a certain way. And you never know, you know, we might uh, learn a lot and it it can become part of our practices as well. So that is amazing. So we've covered. Quite a bit of ground in today's episode, you know, for the, over the last 30 minutes or so. This is amazing. And for the listeners, one thing that I'd love to say is we are enjoying these conversations when you reach out to us and sharing these comments, and uh, especially when you say you agree with this or you don't agree with this and your perspectives. That is absolutely amazing. You now, keep that coming. And um, as always, one request from my side is, uh, you know, subscribe to our show, give us a few thumbs up you know, uh, give us some comments, post in some reviews. And, uh, you know, especially let us know what you specifically would like to hear from us. And that would become our topics. And uh, that's that from us in this episode.
0: Thank you, everyone. Really appreciate again, all your comments. That definitely was the reason why we did this additional episode based on the previous episodes, topics that we discussed. And this is exactly the format I would love. Keep it conversational between us. Keep it conversational with our community to get their feedback and continue to discuss those topics. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Have a good day.